Okay, we're on um, session three of the trying of your faith. How to come out victorious. And uh, we're in First Peter uh, chapter four. So we can turn there. Hallelujah. Second first uh, Peter four. concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you. The contemporary English version says, Dear friends, don't be surprised by the fiery troubles that are coming in order to test you. Don't feel as though something strange is happening to you. God's Word translation says, Dear friends, don't be surprised by the fiery troubles that are coming in order to test you. Don't feel as though something strange uh, is happening to you. The New Living Version says, Dear friends, your faith is going to be tested as if it were going through fire. Do not be surprised at this. At this. So, um, in our text scripture here that we just read, I just want to camp on that for a couple of minutes. Uh, you know, some of you, you know, you might have someone come to you. Uh, so I want to uh, explain this. If, uh, you know, someone might come to you and say, well, if you continue to read that verse in verse 13, um, it says, uh, but rejoice inasmuch as you are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, you may be glad also with exceeding joy. So somebody might come to you and say, see there, uh, the rest of that verse says that we're supposed to suffer like Jesus, and we're supposed to accept it as the will of God. So when somebody comes to you and says that, that is not what that means. Amen? It doesn't mean that we're supposed to suffer the, like Jesus suffered, uh, and I'm going to explain that. That's not rightly dividing the word, and this is how Christians get into trouble, and they become ensnared by Satan's devices, and he gets the advantage over them, and we talked about that in our first session. Uh, as a result of not rightly dividing the word or being ignorant of the word altogether, uh, people accept sickness, lack, and every form of oppression as the will of God and their cross to bear. That is a lie and a deception of the devil. We do not accept what Jesus has already suffered for us. Amen? That's what this scripture is talking about. Now, if you look back at the beginning of chapter 4, verse 1, it says, For as much then as Christ hath suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind. 
The Young's literal translation says, Christ then, having suffered for us in the flesh, ye also with the same mind arm yourselves. What does it mean to arm yourselves with the same mind? It means since Jesus suffered sickness, all physical and mental diseases, all forms of poverty, lack, and sin, and all of its effects on us, and he did it for us as our substitute, we're to arm ourselves with the same mind as Jesus. It means that we don't have to suffer those things because Jesus suffered in our place. That's the mind of Jesus that we're to arm ourselves with. So it's absolutely vital that we distinguish between the example of Christ in suffering and the substitution of Christ in suffering. We can follow Christ's example in suffering, but we cannot follow Christ's substitution in suffering because he took our place. So what Jesus suffered for us, we don't have to. And that's what it means to arm yourselves with the same mind as Jesus. Uh, physical, financial, mental suffering, everything that is the result of sin and its effects on the earth, that kind of suffering we have been redeemed from. And because of a failure to rightly divide the word, man-made unscriptural doctrines have been created in the area of Christian suffering. When Jesus was reviled, spoken against, and threatened by people, he suffered persecution, but he did not retaliate or threaten them back. So this is leaving an example for us that we should follow his steps. So he's talking here about persecution, about suffering persecution, not uh, suffering sickness. So yes, we will suffer persecution like Jesus did. He warned us of that in the Bible. Uh, if we suffer like Paul suffered, we suffer persecution and all the things that go with it. Now there's another kind of suffering. So there's physical suffering that Jesus has already suffered for us. There's suffering as a result of persecution, which we can expect to suffer. And there's another kind of suffering the Bible talks about, which is the suffering of your flesh when it doesn't get its way. So Galatians 3.13 says, Christ hath redeemed us, past tense, from the curse of the law being made a curse for us. Let's say this out loud. The curse Jesus suffered for me. I don't have to suffer. Amen. So the trying of your faith that we're talking about here in this series concerns those things that Jesus has suffered for us. Things that we have been redeemed from. That's, that's what we're talking about. Uh, we're talking about the trying of your faith as a result of believing and acting on God's word concerning his promises in the areas of divine health, financial and material blessing, and everything else included in the new covenant. 
When you step out on that word and you begin to act on it and you believe it, Satan is going to come to challenge that word. So that's what we're talking about. In part one, we talked about the source of tests and trials. Uh, Satan is the source of tests and trials of our faith, not God. We talked about Satan's devices and how he operates to try your faith. His goal is, to, is for you to come out on the other side of this trial with your faith drained, blaming God because things didn't happen the way you thought they should or in the time frame you thought that they should have happened. Satan holds Christians captive through ignorance of God's word and ignorance of his devices and that gives him a place and an opportunity to get an advantage over them through deception and ultimately defeat them. Everybody say, not me. I'm not ignorant of Satan's devices. I resist him and he flees from me. Amen. In part two, last time, we talked about another one of Satan's devices he uses to drain your faith. And that's when he comes to question God's word and God's character. Satan's strategy is to complicate the simplicity of faith in God's word. The Bible is really very simple, but Satan has complicated it over the centuries through organized religion and modern theologians. God has given us his word, simple instructions, simple promises of what he's already provided for us now in this lifetime. Satan and people under his influence come to challenge that word and they come to challenge your understanding of it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, he'll, he'll say, well, I know Jesus said speak to the mountain, speak to the adversity, speak to the problem, command it to be removed and it will obey you. But that's not what he really meant. He didn't literally mean it would obey you. Or maybe God's using this disease or these financial difficulties to teach you a spiritual lesson and they're really working for your good and somehow God will get the glory from you being sick and broke because it's just part of the mysterious will of God for your life. This is how people come to, to you. Uh, you know, Satan will speak that directly to your mind or he will have people come to you and challenge the word of God and your understanding of it. Because our faith is the victory that overcomes Satan, you can see why it is a threat to him and his operation. You can see why your faith is a principal target for him. Satan will work in situations and circumstances in your life to put your faith on trial. That's, that's what we mean by the trying of your faith. Hoping that when you come out on the other side, you will have thrown in the towel, abandoned your faith, pull the plug on your faith. He wants you to pull the plug on your faith. He can't, pull, he can't stop your faith. He wants to talk you into stopping it. He wants you to pull the plug on it. He wants you to say it's not working. That's all he can do. 
He cannot stop your faith from coming to pass. That's why he works on you. And that's why we're understanding how he works. So he wants you to pull the plug on your faith and leave you faithless. But if you will continue to believe God and stand on the word, we can come out with our faith proven. We can pass the test, any test and trial that Satan brings against us, and our faith will come out shining and stronger than ever. That's what we're, that's, that's, that's our goal. Amen. And, and God's equipping us to do that. So when Satan or anybody else comes to challenge you, challenge the word that you have believed, don't let anybody talk you out of it, and don't let anybody take it away from you. You say, I do believe it. God told me that. And that's what I'm going to believe. Amen? Hallelujah. We saw in the last session, Genesis 3, verse 6, how Adam and Eve let go of their faith in God and the dependability and the integrity of God's word, and they disobeyed God. And they lost it all, folks. I mean, they lost it all. They were, they, God had to, to drive them out of that garden. He didn't want to, but it, he had to. In their spiritual condition, he, he had to drive them out. So today we're going to uh, look at another device that Satan uses in the trying of your faith. He will work in the area of your senses, what you see and what you feel. So today we're, we're talking about looking with your senses. This is what Satan wants you to do. He wants to pull you over into the sense realm, what you see, what you feel, because that's his territory. If he can get you to focus on things you see and feel that contradict God's word, and to focus on it long enough, it will begin to erode your faith. It will begin to erode your faith. If you're believing God for something, you don't need to focus on what things look like when they are contrary to what God said. You know, an x-ray or a blood test, it's real. You know, we're not denying that. It's, it's real. It, it may be a fact, but it's not the truth. Amen? Isn't that right, Ann? It's not the truth, is it? Amen. God's word is the truth. Hallelujah. The truth says Jesus bore your sicknesses and pain, and by his stripes you were healed. If it's contrary to the word, don't just keep reading that letter over and over and over. Don't just keep reading it. If you have unpaid bills, don't pile them up, you know, and just keep looking at them and dwelling on where the money's going to come from. You can't bury your head in the sand and ignore it. Uh, Proverbs 27, 23 says, uh, what? Uh, Mind the state of your flocks. Be diligent to know the state of your flocks. And look well to thy herds. Uh, the Living Bible says, Watch your business interests closely. Know the state of your flocks and your herds. In other words, you know, you got to know what's going on in your financial affairs. If people are in debt, they need to know how much they owe. They need to know how much they owe this person. Some people, they, could, they don't have a clue how much they owe, you know, 
different people. So the Bible says we are to uh, be diligent to know the state of our flocks. But once you know the situation, take the bills and put them in the drawer and close it and just begin to praise God uh, for the answer. Amen. 2 Corinthians 4.18 says, we're not going to turn there, but you can write it down. 2 Corinthians 4.18, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are temporal are eternal. Sorry, for the, the things that are not seen uh, are eternal. Yeah, the things that are seen are temporal. The things that are not seen are eternal. The message translation says, uh, there's far more here than meets the eye. The things we see now are here today, gone tomorrow. But the things we can't see now will last forever. So the things that you can see and the things that you can feel that are contrary to God's word are temporary. Let's say this out loud. Temporary, subject to change. It's real, but it's temporary. Amen. So when things look bad, maybe for a while, remind yourself it's temporary. Pain is temporary. Amen? It may have been going on for a year, three years, but it's temporary. Amen? The things that are not seen don't change. By His stripes you were healed is eternal. It never changes. Given it shall be given unto you is eternal. That never changes. So that's what you keep your eyes on, your mind on, and your heart fixed on when Satan and circumstances come to challenge your faith. This is walking by faith and not by sight. When you lose your joy, you lose your peace, and you get down, you're walking by sight. Now I wish somebody would have told me that a long time ago and just one simple statement. It, I, it would have helped me so much and I think I probably could have taken some shortcuts in some of these tests and trials. If somebody you know, would have just said, when you begin to get down and you lose your peace and you lose your joy, you're walking by sight, not by faith. That would, that would really have helped me. So get your eyes off the problem. Set your affection on things above. Remember all the times God never let you down. You realize, uh, you know, that we're in the minority that believe this way, folks. We're in the minority in the, in the body of Christ that believe this way. And if it was easy, we wouldn't be the minority. If it was easy, we wouldn't be the minority. Every Christian would be listening and learning how to do this. Your body can talk to you. Your bills can talk to you. Look and feel. Look and feel. But if you want to be victorious and come out with your faith shining and stronger than ever, you have to get your eyes off of it. Uh, you know, we talked about last time in Genesis 3-6 about Adam and Eve and that uh, you know, tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Why were they even there? Why were they even at that tree? Why were they even looking at it? 
I mean, God had already said this whole uh, 45,000 acre garden, you can eat of any tree in here, just not that one. Why were they even there? Why were they even close to it? Why were they even looking at it? Let's turn to Matthew 14. Matthew 14. We all know this story, but we're just going to review it. Matthew 14, verse 22. And straightway Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship and go before him unto the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray. And when the evening was come, he was there alone. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them, walking on the sea. Verse 26. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a spirit, and they cried out, for fear. Now notice, this is a good example. Faith does not come by seeing. Faith does not come by seeing. All the disciples in that boat saw Jesus walking on the water. They didn't all jump out of the boat and start trying to walk on the water just because they saw Jesus doing it. Some people will say, well, if I saw a miracle like that, I would believe. If I, you know, if I saw somebody uh, raised from the dead, I would believe. If I saw somebody healed of so-and-so, I would believe. Not according to the Bible. <clears throat> the disciples saw it, and they didn't believe. They were afraid. It did not generate any faith in them when they saw Jesus walking on the water. That was a miracle. They were afraid. You know, some people say, well, if I saw a blind person healed, I'd believe. If I saw an arm grow back, I would believe. No, faith comes by hearing the word of God. Now, it might get their attention. Yes. It'll get their attention, and then you preach the word to them, and they get saved. Amen? Miracles are not the source of faith. God's Word is the only source of faith. You know, in the uh, Old Testament, the Israelites were eyewitnesses of miracle after miracle. They saw the Red Sea open. They saw water come out of a rock. They walked across the Red Sea on dry ground and didn't even get their shoes muddy. They saw supernatural provision of manna and quail. It didn't build their faith. It never did build their faith. I mean, they would see these things happen and two days later, oh God, what are we going to do? Oh God, why did you let this happen to us? It, just, it never generated any faith in them. Uh, so if faith came by seeing, uh, another example, what about the, the scribes and the Pharisees and the doctors of the law? If faith came by seeing, those religious people of Jesus' day, they would have been uh, faith giants. Those 
Pharisees and doctors of the law, they probably saw more miracles in three years than most people ever see in a lifetime. They saw the dead raised. They saw the blind see. They saw the deaf hear. They saw leprosy leave people. They saw demons cast out of people, and people came back into their right minds. And they never did believe. I mean, they just got harder and harder. Now, there were a few individuals, the Bible mentioned, who did believe. You know, and, um, but the hardcore ones never did believe. All they were interested in was clinging on to their traditions and what you could and could not do on the Sabbath. That's all they were interested in. They weren't interested in the dead getting raised or the sick being healed. They didn't care about that. They just wanted to cling to their traditions. The more miracles they saw, the more skeptical and envious of Jesus they became. Now, your faith uh, can be inspired by other people's testimonies, and that's why we have a testimony time, you know, when we meet. gives you an opportunity to, you know, bring glory to God and inspire other people. Uh, but the disciples didn't get faith to walk on the water by seeing Jesus walk on the water. Verse uh, 28. So Jesus says, Be of good cheer, it's I, be not afraid. Uh, and Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. Now, uh, Peter kind of pinned Jesus up in the corner here, didn't he? Because what was Jesus supposed to say? No, it's not me, don't come. You know? It's not really me, don't come. So when, G when Peter put it across to him that way, all he could say was come, you know? Um, and verse 29, and Jesus said, come. Uh, and Peter, when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. So when Jesus said to Peter, come, that word come caused faith to rise up on the inside of Peter and, and he stepped out and the storm didn't stop the storm was still going but he wasn't paying any attention to the storm he heard the word come and faith came up and he stepped out not paying any attention to the storm the wind didn't stop blowing the, wind, the waves didn't immediately become still and the water was nice and smooth so Peter could walk on the water no the the water could have been smooth as glass. And you still can't walk on the water, even if the water's smooth as glass. So the wind and the waves had nothing to do with it. The storm had nothing to do with him walking on the water. It was a distraction. It was a distraction. A smoke screen. That's what I like to call it. So when Jesus said, come, Peter didn't stop and think about it and start reasoning if it was possible. And this is where a lot of people often miss it. You know, God will quicken something to us and he'll quicken something, step out and do this. You know, have this meeting. Uh, you know, give, give this. Some, some kind of direction. Contact this person. And you stop and think about it and you start thinking, now if I do that, what are they going to do and what are they going to think? 
and what about this and you know what about the money and you begin to start reasoning and thinking about it and your faith is gone that your faith is gone when you begin to start uh, reasoning and, and, and thinking about what God's told you your faith begins to drain out of you but uh, you know so when faith when the word and the faith rises up on the inside of you that's the time to move don't stop and reason it out and think about it that's just the time to move uh, by faith Peter stepped out that word come held him up we don't know how far he walked but he walked close enough to Jesus that when he did begin to sink he was close enough to Jesus that Jesus reached out and picked him up so even if you do fall down even if you do stumble Jesus is there to pick you up. Amen? He's there to pick you up. And, and he'll get in the boat with you. Amen? <laughs> he'll get in the boat with you. Amen. Hallelujah. Uh, the Phillips translation, verse 29, when Jesus said, come, Jesus said, come on then. Come on then, replied Jesus. When he said, Lord, if it, if it be you, bid me come, Jesus said, come on then. The Living Bible says, all right, the Lord said, come along. The New Living Translation says, yes, come, Jesus said. There's another yes. He always says yes, doesn't he? <laughs> all the promises of God are yes and amen. He said, Lord, if it's you, let me come. He said, okay, yeah, it's me. Yes, come. Indeed, come. Uh, the contemporary English version says, come on. Come on. Come on out. Come on up. Come on out here. That's what Jesus has been saying for centuries. Come on out of that curse. Come up out of those circumstances. Get up here with me. Get, up, get out here on the water with me. Come on out here. Get up out of that curse. Get out of that lack. Come out of that depression. Come out here with me. Amen? Jesus said we would do greater things than he did. It's the men and the devil that will tell you you can't presume to do what Jesus did. When Jesus said come, because we know how Satan operates, we know he came immediately to challenge that word in Peter's mind and to try to drain his faith. As soon as, as Peter heard that word come and he stepped out, I bet the devil said to his mind, you better have some wisdom about this. You better have some wisdom before you step out there on the water. Good and better people than you have drowned out here in storms like this. You better be careful. You better have some wisdom. But Peter passed the reasoning and the thinking about it test. He didn't yield to that. When Jesus said come, he just stepped out and went. How many people have tried to drain your faith when you stepped out in faith to do something? The economy's not good right now. It's not a good time to be starting a business. I know somebody that had that disease and they were believing God for healing and they died. Everybody say out loud, 
faith drainers. Those are faith drainers. Peter passed the first faith drainer test when Satan came immediately to steal the word. He was walking by faith, not by sight. He wasn't trying to do it. He was doing it. But then his senses kicked in. Verse 30. But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid. Underline that phrase. When he saw the wind boisterous, his, his senses kicked in and he st stopped looking at Jesus and he started looking at the circumstances around him. He started looking at the size of those waves. You can't see the wind. You can't see the wind, but you can see the effects of it. I can't see the wind, but I can see those leaves moving around outside, so I know the wind's blowing. But I can't see the wind. I can just see its effects on our surroundings. So, when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid. When you walk by sight, fear comes. This is, this is another a practical way that you can recognize if you're in faith or you're in fear or if you're walking by sight or walking by faith, when fear comes, you're walking by sight. When he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid and beginning to sink. You can see that when he began to look at the natural circumstances, his faith began to drain out of him and he began to sink. He didn't ever actually sink. It just says he began to sink. Peter was walking by faith until Satan got him to look at the waves. His senses began to dictate to him. You can't walk on the water when the storm's this bad. You can't walk on the water when the waves are this high. Now, if, the, if, if there was no storm and the water was nice and smooth, yeah, you might could walk on the water, but not out in a storm like this. What did the wind have to do with it? Nothing. He started looking at the problem and the circumstances and he began to sink. His faith began to drain out of him. When he began to look at what he was seeing and what he was looking at, his faith began to drain out of him. Peter was walking on the water until Satan pulled him over in to the sense realm, out of the faith realm, over into the physical sense realm. The devil is pulling on his faith. Look at the wind. Look at the waves. Look at the storm. And his faith began to drain out and beginning to sink. He cried saying, Lord, save me. If you start listening to the enemy and what he is emphasizing, even though it's unreasonable and irrational, your faith will drain out of you. <coughs> as long as he was looking at Jesus, the word, he was walking on the water. So look through the eye of faith at what the word says, not what circumstances are telling you. Look through the eye of faith at what the word says, not what circumstances are telling you. 
circumstances change, God's word never changes. Hallelujah. Let's turn over to Mark 5. Mark 5. This is another familiar story, but we're going to review it. Can I ask a single question? There's an if there. If it be you, Lord. Even when Jesus spoke, he didn't believe it. He said, if it be you. And then, so only when Jesus hmm. said, come. They thought he was a ghost, didn't yeah. they? Yeah. Yeah, they thought Even he was. Even when a... he spoke. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Fear, it, you know, what, what they saw caused them to fear. Mark 5, Jairus. Um, we're familiar with this story. He came and uh, told Jesus to come to his house. His little daughter was uh, at the point of death. He said, come lay your hands on her and she shall be healed. And... Um, Verse 22, it says, And behold, there cometh one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus, by name. And when he saw him, he fell at his feet. Now, uh, again, when Jairus came to where Jesus was, and he saw this massive crowd, knowing, you know, what condition his daughter was in, but when he saw that massive crowd, you know his senses began to kick in and say, look at the size of that crowd. You will never get anywhere close to Jesus. You will never be able to get through all those people and get to Jesus. You've had it. Your daughter is gone. I mean, she's had it. You will never be able to get to this man. Look at that massive crowd. But he pushed and he shoved his way through thousands of people to get close enough to Jesus to fall at his feet. Now that's an important, you know, we just, we just read, you know, that he came and fell at his feet. We don't realize there were a massive crowd because it goes on to tell us in this story how the woman with the issue of blood, she pushed and shoved her way through the same crowd to get close enough to Jesus to touch hold of his garment. So Jairus and the woman with the issue of blood, they were not going to take no for an answer. They pushed and shoved their way through that crowd till they got right up at the feet of Jesus. Let's say this out loud. Faith is not passive. These were not passive people. Amen. Jesus did not go out and search for this family. Jairus went to Jesus and searched out where he was. Jairus didn't have this mentality that it's all up to God. And neither did the woman with the issue of blood. She didn't sit at home waiting for Jesus to come knock on her door and offer to pray for her. Jairus didn't sit at home and say, well, if it's God's will to heal our daughter, he'll send this preacher Jesus to our house. But if she dies, we'll just accept it as part of the mysterious will of God. No, Jairus got up and he went and found Jesus. Faith is not passive. Faith gets up and moves. Notice also, 
He told Jesus exactly what he wanted him to do. And that's exactly what Jesus did. Uh, verse 23-24. Uh, he said, My little daughter lies at the point of death. Number two, come. Number three, lay your hands on her. Number four, she shall live. That's exactly what Jesus came and did. Exactly what Jairus um, asked him to do. Can you see that it was Jairus' faith that determined what Jesus did? It was Jairus' faith that determined what Jesus did. Jair, uh, Jesus, I don't know where he was going that day, but he was going somewhere else. But it was Jairus' faith that caused him to turn from wherever he was going to cancel that appointment and go home with this man. His faith was what determined what Jesus did. Now, I know religious people wouldn't like that. But that's just the way it is. The woman with the issue of blood, she came up, you know, she got healed. She gave her testimony. So wait, let's say 30, 40 minutes have gone by. The clock's ticking. Jairus knows that his little daughter's at the point of death, you know, and he's sitting there saying, okay, Jesus, we gotta go, you know. The clock's ticking. You ain't got time to fool with this woman testimony she doesn't need to give a testimony let's let's go you know so you know his the devil was pulling on his senses we gotta go we gotta go verse 35 while he yet spake there came from the ruler of the synagogue's house certain which said thy daughter is dead why troublest thou the master any further so these messengers came from Jairus's house bringing bad news. Now these weren't just strangers. These weren't just strangers that came up. He knew these people. These were trusted people from his household. You, you know they made certain this little girl was dead before they came and told him that, you know. These were trusted people. He knew they weren't making this up. He knew it was true. But they brought him bad news based on what they had seen, what they had heard, and what they knew about this situation. Now here's a good example. Sometimes it can be something that you have not even seen yourself that can drain your faith. It can be something that somebody else has seen and come and told you about that can drain your faith. So be on the lookout. What about Numbers 13? The Israelites. Moses sent out the 12 spies to survey the promised land. Three million people, all excited, all in faith about going to their new homes and their new farms and their new vineyards. Their faith was up. They had confident expectation. The spies came back telling people about the good land. It was good. It's just like God said it was. They told about the vineyards, the lakes, the farmlands, the crops, you know, and Besides that, look what we brought back with us. Grapes the size of a grapefruit. So they saw, they not only heard the lamb was good, they even saw physical evidence of what was there. 
Now this is another example that faith does not come by seeing. Those people saw those grapes. <laughs> they saw the goodness of that land. If faith came by seeing, they would have looked at those grapes and said, okay, everybody, pack your bags. We're getting out of here, and we're heading out right now. Promised land, here we come. Did those grapes generate any faith in them? Well, not for long. If it did, it didn't for long. Because when they heard the bad report, they quickly forgot about the grapes and the good land and the houses and the lakes and the farmland because the bad news overwhelmed them with fear. The faith of three million people was drained out by ten men who came back telling them what they saw. They saw giants, walled cities, and iron chariots. The three million people, they never saw a giant. They never saw a walled city. They never saw the, these fortified cities. All they did was hear what somebody else saw, and they allowed it to drain the faith out of them. They allowed the devil to drain their faith, rob them of their faith and their promised inheritance solely based on what 10 other people saw. When you are in faith, don't allow somebody else's lack of faith to influence you. That's the bottom line. Amen? What about Goliath? When the army of Israel saw Goliath, They were looking at him with their senses and they went into fear and they started walking by sight. They totally forgot they had a covenant with God. Their senses kicked in. When they saw the size of that man, they'd never seen anything like that before. It, they totally forgot they had a covenant with God. Fear came. What does that mean? You're walking by sight. When, but when David saw the Goli saw Goliath, he was looking, he saw something totally different. When David saw the size of Goliath, he saw something totally, completely different. He saw Goliath through the eye of faith. He saw the size of Goliath and he said, what do I get if I take him out? He wasn't, he wasn't thinking we're going down the drain. He was thinking reward. Everybody say, the bigger the giant, the, bigger the, giant. the greater the prize. The greater the prize. Amen. Hallelujah. The army saw a giant. David saw a prize. He saw a trophy. Let's go back to Mark 5, uh, 35. So they brought, the messengers have brought this bad news. It's too late. She's dead. Jesus turned and went with him and did exactly what Jairus said. Even when the message of death came and stared him in the face, he did not allow death itself to drain him of his faith. Verse 36, Jesus said, Be not afraid, only believe. The uh, contemporary English version says, 
Jesus heard what they said, and he said to Jairus, don't worry, just have faith. The Living Bible says, but Jesus ignored their comments. Jesus ignored their comments and said to Jairus, don't be afraid, just trust me. Fear happens when you walk by sight. And, and uh, Jesus recognized what was happening here. He recognized what, what was going to happen. And that's why he cut it off. He said, uh-uh, ignore what they've said. Keep on believing. When bad news comes, and you know that if you open your mouth, fear or unbelief is going to come out, what do you do? Zip it. Zip it. Just stay with your last confession of faith. Jesus saw what was happening and he said, don't open your mouth, keep on believing. Jesus said, don't base what you believe on what they have come and told you. Don't base what you believe based on what they have come and said. Don't allow what somebody else has seen to change what you believe. Jesus said, uh, you know, hey, you remember a few minutes ago you just came to me and you said if I come and lay my hands on your daughter, she'll be healed and, and she'll live? Stay with that. Don't forget that. You stay with what you said to me when you came to me. Keep believing that. Jesus said, uh, in plain English, he was saying, don't quit on me now, Jairus. Don't quit on me now. I need your faith. I need your faith to do this. Keep on believing. Jesus needed Jairus' faith. I mean, isn't Jesus the Son of God and He can do whatever He wants to do? And isn't God sovereign and He just decides who gets healed and who doesn't get healed and who gets blessed and who doesn't get blessed? And Jesus did all these things because He was the Son of God. No, Jesus needed Jairus' faith. That's why he said, don't stop, don't quit me now, keep on believing, I need your faith. I need your faith. When they got to the house and Jairus saw her, laying there cold and white, you know his senses kicked in. And they were talking to him, give up, quit, it's over. His faith is being tried to look at the circumstances with his senses, to steal the word of God out of his heart and allow the devil to pull the plug on his faith. Let's say this out loud. Jairus had a grip on his faith. I mean, he must have had a grip on his faith. All this, all he's looking at all this, he's seeing all this, and he has not opened his mouth yet. He's still standing there with his mouth shut, with his eyes on Jesus. He's saying, you know, when the devil came to pull the plug on his faith, Jairus said, no, I'm not letting go. He refused to look with his senses. Now, I'm not saying this is easy. When you see an x-ray or you feel something in your body, it pulls on your faith. 
But you have to make a choice. What am I going to look at? What you look at and give your attention to is going to determine the outcome. It's like Brother Copeland says, uh, you know, you're the establishing witness. God says you have it. The devil says you don't have it. Who are you going to believe? <clears throat> now, I'm saying these things like this because I want you to recognize kind of what faith feels like, okay? How you can recognize faith, and I don't mean what it feels like physically, but when you're in faith and you're believing God and you have confident expectation and your spirit's excited, uh, this is how faith feels, okay? That's, that's an indicator that you are in faith. When you look with your senses or hear what people you trust have seen, and it's contrary to what you're believing, and your heart begins to sink, and, and if, you know, do you know what I mean when I say your feathers fall? You know, your feathers fall, you kind of, you get all excited about uh, having this or doing this, and somebody comes and says, it's off and your feathers fall, that's just kind of an expression. Deflated, but you're, deflated. Yeah, deflated, like they popped your balloon or something, you know, and, and you feel deflated and you're, uh, you know, your heart, your heart kind of sinks, you know. Um, well, the devil is trying to pull the plug on your faith and drain it out of you. That's what, that's what that means. Uh, I thought about Greg's father. When the doctor called you up and told you about your father, just looking at that natural situation, it caused your heart to sink, didn't it? Yeah. What's the devil trying to do? He's trying to pull the plug on your faith. When your faith is draining out of you, your heart sinks, you become deflated, and you begin to give up on the inside. That's that's how you know when the devil has come to pull the plug on your faith, when you begin to give up on the inside. Uh, that's, that's how you know when you're in faith or you're not in faith. So your faith is draining out when you begin to give up on the inside. And you know that's what was happening on the inside of Jairus. Jesus said, don't quit me now. Keep on believing. I don't care what they saw. I don't care how you feel. Don't quit me now. Everybody say out loud, out loud, keep on believing. Keep on believing. Amen. With Greg's father, Greg kept on believing. Amen. He heard the bad news. He didn't allow it to pull the plug on his faith. Amen. Ann's done the same thing, hadn't you, Ann? Amen. I've got something practical to tell you what happened on, on top of everything else in a minute. Okay. Can I say it? Yeah. Everybody? Yeah. Go ahead and share it. Can Go ahead I, and share okay. it. A few years ago, we were at a Christian party over in Norfolk and um, this man heard about how God had healed me and he started telling me about the, his next door neighbours and the little boy got bone cancer and I said to him, 
Well, tell tell his mother about what God has done for me, and he'll do the same for her little boy. He said, "Oh, I can't do that." But anyway, a couple of days later, I was ironing, and I was ironing the handkerchiefs, and it came into my head to pray over the handkerchiefs. So mm -hmm. I wrote him a letter and I sent him the handkerchief and I said, go to that lady and tell her to put this handkerchief under his pillow or against his bedclothes mm -hmm. and he'd be healed. God will do it. And he did it. Mm -hmm. he, he actually went to this woman and without her faith in what he said, you see, just like Jesus needed Joseph's faith, mm -hmm. this woman, she believed what, what he said, mm -hmm. and she ran up the stairs, and she put the, the handkerchief underneath his pillowcase. Mm -hmm. And then, about three or four weeks later, a man um, got in touch with me to tell me that the little boy had been totally healed of bone Praise God! Amen. She believed what that man said to her. Yeah, yeah. And she did it. Amen. She didn't stop and think about it, did she? Amen. She didn't stop and think about no, it and reason. No, Amen. When you, were, when you were saying that, it really... Brought that old memory of all that back to me. Praise God. Amen. And we can do that. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. We put a lot of anointed hankies underneath our sun pillow. You're and on the holiday this time, somebody gets an anointed T-shirt for him. And um, apparently, when you, when these things are washed, they don't lose their anointing. Mm. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Praise God. I believe that. Hallelujah. But uh, with Greg's father, he kept, he dug his heels in, didn't he? Greg dug his heels in. He kept believing and we kept believing with him. Amen. And it turned around, didn't it? Praise God. And it's turning around with his aunt also. Gloria Copeland says, when they tell you Friday's the last day to get that money to us, there's always Monday. Amen. Friday's really not the last day. When they give you a deadline, there's always Monday. Okay? Amen. That actually happened to a friend. They had to pay a debt, and, I, and they couldn't. So I gave the money, and I said, you can't do it on the, Saturday, on the Sunday, because it's the Sabbath, it's the day of rest. So do it on the Monday. Yeah. And they did, and it's all clear. There's always Monday, yeah. isn't it? Amen. Yes. Let's say this out loud. It's not over until it's over. And it's not over until I say so. Amen. How many innings are in cricket? I don't know much about cricket. How many innings? Two each side. Okay. Well, we, we, get, we get to keep playing till we win. Amen. Ever how many innings it takes we get to keep playing till we win because we own the bat and the ball and Jesus is the umpire. Amen? <laughs> Hallelujah. Now, so what Jairus did right here, I believe, 
When they came and told him that bad news and he did not open his mouth, I think that's where he won the battle right there. Uh, he did not open his mouth. That can be one of the biggest statements of faith that you can make. Jairus stayed with Jesus. They got to the house. Everybody's crying. And uh, Jesus called things that are not as though they were. He said, she's, oh, don't worry. She's not dead. She's just asleep. And everybody that was crying is now suddenly laughing and mocking Jesus. And all the time, Jairus is witnessing all this. He's still got his mouth shut. And he's keeping a grip on his faith. He hasn't allowed any of these things to drain him of his faith. Jesus cleared out the people. He cleared out the unbelief. He just took the parents and, what, Peter, James, and John, I think, with him. He took the little girl by the hand and said, little girl, get up. What turned this situation around? Her daddy had faith. Amen? Her daddy had faith. If Jairus had lost his faith at the point of trial, this would not be in the Bible. Is faith precious? Yes. Amen. Your faith is precious. That it can turn the circumstances around in your life. It could literally save a family member from premature death. Do you realize that in, the, in your ancestry, you are probably the only members of your family that have ever even heard this and even know anything about this? that even know this is available. Going all the way back through your ancestry, you may be the only members of your family that even know anything about this. So what an opportunity we have to develop our precious faith. Let's say this out loud. My faith, My faith is, precious. is precious. It's vital to your victory, your life, your family. And the devil so hates it that he wants to steal it from you. So that's why we're in the process of becoming more knowledgeable and aware of Satan's devices and how he works in this area. Jesus said he's a liar and he's a thief, and we're learning that. We're getting equipped and we're getting ready. You have to make up your mind that you're not going to allow him to pull the plug on your faith and his days of stealing, killing, and destroying, and your life and family are over with. You know, sometimes Christians get worried when they find out that some of their ancestors have been witches, or they were involved in masons, or they were involved in the occult, or something like that. But none of those things are greater than the blood of Jesus or the name of Jesus. Uh, your ancestors may have been ignorant about what they were involved in. They may have known exactly what they were doing. But you are the righteousness of God, and you have access to revelation that they did not have access to. And you can say, Father, I represent a new generation of righteousness in my family. Anything occult, heart disease, strokes, Cancer, poverty, lack, anything that runs in our family, it ends with me and my generation. Amen? Please would you say that? You can say that. Again. 
Uh, we can say, I represent a new generation of righteousness in my family and in our ancestry. And anything occult, anything that runs in your family, mental disease, poverty, lack, heart disease, cancer, any kind of diseases that run or things that are passed along from generation to generation, you can say, it ends with me and my generation. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. I personally put a stop to it now. Now you notice I didn't say any of this was easy. That's why we're in the minority who believe in Bible faith. It's a whole lot easier to sit at home and say God will heal me one day in his timing and it's all up to him. And it's costing them. It's not easy, but it can be done. It's possible to come out of every test and trial of your faith in victory with your faith intact and stronger than ever. We have great men and women of God in the Bible, uh, you know, on record for an example for us. Uh, some of these people were not even born again people. There are thousands of testimonies of Christians now in our lifetime that have done it. There's one sitting right back there. Amen? Every, every person in here, you've done it at some time in your life. I've just known Ann longer than I've known most of the rest of you. But it can be done. Amen? Amen. Everybody in here could, could, could give a testimony. Hallelujah. Uh, I heard, uh, you know, Brother Hagen had, uh, well, I guess he still has a healing school where they teach on healing every day and then one day of the week they have they lay hands on people for healing as well and uh, they had this man was coming to the healing school who had cancer brain cancer and uh, the person teaching in the school uh, you know teaching the class they had been praying uh, you know, they spent their lunch hour praying and fasted their lunch hour uh, about this. He knew this man was coming to be prayed for. And he was praying, uh, uh, you know, about this. And um, as he was praying, the Lord spoke to him on the inside, not an audible voice, but just on the inside. He heard this. Uh, the Lord said, which is worse, cancer of the brain or cancer on the mind? And, and the Lord was saying, cancer on the mind is worse than cancer of the brain. Because he said, I made the body, I made the brain, I can replace that tissue, I can even replace organs. But he said, if I cannot get that person to get cancer off their mind and get it over on me and on my word, it's, it's very difficult for me to get in and get in and work on their behalf. So, your faith is the victory that puts you in direct contact with your healer and your provider and your deliverer enables you to receive. And one of the ways Satan tries to drain your faith is to get you to looking at the wrong thing 
And not just physically looking at it, but looking at it with your mind. You know what I mean? You can look at things in your mind, can't you? With your mind's eye. When you look at it with, your eye, with the eyes of your spirit and what you, what you keep your mind on, that, that's what you got to do. You got to keep your mind on the Word. Romans 8 says to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Isaiah 26.3 Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind, fault, or imagination is stayed on thee because he trusteth in thee. So if you don't have peace, your mind's not on the Lord, it's on something else. But you got to get your mind off that and get it back on what God said. And if you have to, you may have to do this a hundred times a day. You may have to cast down those imaginations a hundred times a day and get it back on the Word. And that's one thing I've had a lot of experience with, is casting down imaginations. I'm pretty good at that. I've had quite a lot of experience, you know, and, and casting those things down and pulling my mind back over on the Word. There's sometimes, you know, I say, mind, shut up and get back on the Word. You've got to talk to it. You've got to talk to it. Keep your mind on what Jesus did on the cross in His life, in the resurrection. He took our diseases and pain and we have to keep our mind on that and it can be done by the grace of God. I'm not saying it's easy. The more difficult and serious the situation may be, the more intensity you may have to give to pulling yourself back over on the Word. So we're talking about the trying of your faith and how to come through victorious with our faith intact and our healings and our blessings and our money and our buildings and our lands in our hands. Amen? Amen. Praise God. Hallelujah.